Hey, what's going on? It's Doug Huntington here. This is The Doug Show. In this episode, I'm going to talk to Monica Lint, and she is the founder or co-founder of Affilame, which is a, a software product we're going to talk about. But she got her start in travel blogging and some other things before she started this software company. So, Monica, how are you doing today? Doing pretty good, Doug. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Well, we don't know each other too well, um, and I know the listeners may have never even heard of you. So can you give a little intro about who you are and what you do right now? Yeah, for sure. So, yep, my name is Monica. I am an American living in Berlin, and about two years ago now, I quit my full-time tech job to become a SaaS founder. So before that, I you know I moved abroad. I started a travel blog and kind of got into affiliate marketing by accident. Uh, so maybe like a lot of listeners to the show, I stumbled upon Pat Flynn's blog and was like shocked and amazed to discover how much money he was making on the internet. And this was just mind blowing to me. I don't know if you uh, ever followed Pat. Yeah, it's, I think oh, yeah. we all have <laughs> at yep. some point. That was my gateway too. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So that was at a time when Pat still had like his public income reports and everything like that. And so I was like, holy moly, that's incredible. Uh, so I started putting affiliate links on a little travel blog that I created after after moving uh, out of the US over to over to Germany, where I am now. And yeah, at, you know, a few years into it, I was like, wait a second, I'm making money. This is kind of shocking. Uh, what if I did this on purpose? And I realized, okay, like I can have a side hustle that actually makes a meaningful amount of money next to a tech job. And my co co-workers were just like completely shocked because even if you're like working at a high paying tech job, it's still incredible. You know, the idea that you can make money doing anything else. And so, yeah, what kind of happened there is I just, I thought to myself, wait, I want to get way more information, like the kind of nerdy data driven person that I am. Like, I want to know more about how my site's performing and doing this all manually with like manual tracking uh, and sub IDs and all this kind of stuff was like, like a no-go. And, and I realized that a lot of other people could benefit from the kind of things I wanted to do, but they wouldn't be able to do them because they didn't know how to code. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how that all started. And I went from, you know, being a full-time software developer and tech lead to building my own software product in the affiliate space. Perfect. And we're going to, some of the actionable things we're going to get into are around contra- content revenue attribution if i can if i can get it out i told monica that it would be me that was going to make the mistakes and we're going to power through we're not even going to edit that but we're going to help people figure out what pages on their sites are earning and this is really effective especially if you have sort of a a bigger site with a lot of content you're not sure which pages are earning so we're going to get into those details but one or two things that I want to point out. So in November, Monica, you, for the first time, hit $11,000 of profit in your you know various ventures. So can you talk about that just a little bit? And we'll link up so people can get some of the background. You've been publishing these income reports, but um, first on like a personal level and what this means to you, this is a pretty big amount of money. So what does it mean to you? Did this blow your mind? Is it surprising? Not surprising? 
Yeah. I mean, my big kind of like stretch goal for the year was to hit 10K in profit. So the fact that I kind of reached this, yeah, is incredible. Um, the other thing is like, you know, being based in Europe, you know, a lot of people think that tech salaries are really huge uh, because they look at American tech salaries. Um, but, you know, in Berlin, we don't necessarily get paid as much. So actually, this is the most money I, I have ever made in my entire life <laughs> in a single month. So that's kind of wild. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I've never really been somebody who kind of cared about climbing the corporate ladder. You know, before I left my tech job, I had certainly opportunities to move up in management and, and you know, have more stress in my life. Um, not to say that I don't have stress. I definitely have stress. It's just uh, self-imposed stress. And yeah, so I would say that that was really what kind of, you know, drove home to me. Okay, you know, I can do this and I can not only like, you know, get to a reasonable salary, but I can grow this into something bigger than myself. And yeah, that's kind of the, the mindset that I'm trying to adopt. Um, my limits, let's say, on what I think is possible have been removed in a lot of ways. So yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. That is a, a big milestone, especially, and, and you have published some of your income reports. So this this is a, a big amount of money. And like you said, it's significant um, compared to the you know, European tech jobs, maybe that you would be comparing it to. So how long did you work your uh, first corporate job there? Yeah. So I used to work in fintech before, yep, before this point. So at that job, I was there for five years, um, but it's not my full, my full history, let's say as a tech worker. Uh, I actually started coding when I was like 10 years old. My dad's an engineer. So I just like grew up around computers and like learned PHP and MySQL, like I mean, I've known it for more than 50% of my life, uh, which is outrageous and true. Uh, so yeah, I just always been coding. I never actually wanted to be a developer. Fun fact, like I majored in Latin. So I thought it was going to be a, a Latin something. I don't know. I didn't have a plan, um, much to my parents' chagrin. And yeah, so, so in terms of, in terms of tech, I had a 10 year like tech career pretty much on the nose. So from being like a student webmaster, you know, on to being a uh, front end engineering lead about in a 10 year time span. And yeah, okay. no more, no more job titles for me or a corporate ladder, or if there is one, I'm at the tops. <laughs> so <laughs> that's where we ended up. <laughs> it's your org chart now. All right. And I got to say, it's odd. Were you just like drawn to coding and, and such? Like you were just interested in it when you were a kid? I think it's one of those things where if you if you're just surrounded by it and it's available to you, you know, then you're more likely to try it out. So I was kind of like in that age range where I had like a Neopets page, um, and that was kind of like my gateway into coding. I don't okay. know. Did you have also, by the way, did you also have a, a career in something like totally unrelated before you went into business for yourself, or have you been kind of like always doing this? I also had sort of a tech job. So I have a computer engineering degree and did management consulting oh, wow. and project management for about okay. nine or 10 years. And then I got laid off. But luckily, I had already started a couple sites because I found smart passive income. So then I just nice. ramped it up. Yep. So that was like 2015 when I got laid off. 
and then I've just been working for myself. You know what's amazing is actually I took my first tech job after being laid off from a bookstore. Oh, really? So I also, the only reason I became a developer is because I was working at a bookstore. They fired me. <laughs> and, and, and then you became then a I was like. And then, and then I became a developer, like, just like, okay, I learned this stuff as, you know, as a kid. And, uh, I got, uh, two X what I was making at a bookstore as a developer. And they were like, would you accept 1350 an hour? And I was like, is this a joke? Like, <laughs> what kind of a question is that? Like, here I am making minimum wage anyways. So yeah. cheers to layoffs and, uh, the new things that those can start. Yeah. And I mean, the, the fact is I would have been probably too scared to quit my job. I would probably still be working there if they were paying. I mean, it was good pay and good benefits and all that stuff. But yeah, the layoff was a great push into a different direction. So, all right. You have a travel blog and I guess photography as well. Can you tell us about that and when you started it and kind of how things are going with it? Yeah. So I, well, when did I start it? I When I moved to I moved abroad, maybe it was like 2013 or so, something around that time frame. bought a camera. I had a lot of ideas, like living in Europe, it's going to be like Sound of Music, you know, I will learn to play the mandolin. Like I had a lot of dreams. Uh, maybe I would get some cool tattoos. Like I still don't have any. Anyways, so moved to Europe, started this blog. Um, and mostly, like I think a lot of people who start blogs, it was kind of like a diary, like Today, I walked around Berlin and like, here are some pictures of things that I saw. And at some point, I don't know what happened, but I started to actually publish things that were useful to other people. Ha <laughs> ha. And, uh, you know, I, I just looked at my analytics one day and I was like, hmm, there's like 30,000 people visiting my website every month. Like, is that a lot? Like, I had no idea. Um, and so, again, it was this kind of thing of like, what if I did this on purpose? So then, you know, it's kind of where I started to learn a little bit of SEO, got into like these Pinterest Facebook groups where like you repin things for each other. I, like what actually happened is I ended up on like a travel blogger resource kind of website, which was like, oh, here's all of these Facebook groups of travel bloggers collaborating together to like make their sites, you know, link building, um, you know, Pinterest repinning threads, all this kind of stuff. And I was like, what, like, what is this? Like everyone has been conspiring together. And here I was like, kind of trying to do it solo. And I, it was really hard. So that's kind of like, it was really the impetus for me to be like, wow, this is crazy. Like I could make real money from this. And then ultimately when I, when I quit my job, you know, I was doing 5k a month during winter from the, from the travel blog. And that provided a really nice cushion towards going full-time on the SAS. The unfortunate thing that happened is like, we had a pandemic, like if you noticed, uh, <laughs> and so the income went to like zero and, uh, that was tough. I will say. I had to live off of savings for a while, uh, while I was like bootstrapping my product and everything. It was like, it was, it was dark days. I played like a hundred hours of animal crossing to ignore all my responsibilities, <laughs> but we are all alive and emerged on the other end. So it's okay. But that's kind of like, you know, the up and down journey that that's taken right. been pretty. Yes. <laughs> so you were making 5k a month 
from not a nomad blog. That's the name of it. We'll link yeah, up so exactly. people can check it out. Um, can you talk about yeah. like the revenue streams on that? Yeah, totally. Totally. So, um, so I mean, I can, I can talk endlessly about like travel as an affiliate niche. Um, it's very interesting because you can, you don't have to do any Amazon, like that's the best part. I mean, it's still made Amazon revenue. So I can talk about kind of today, the constellation, which is relatively representative. So I would say it's kind of like 30% uh, Amazon, 30% tours, and 30% um, uh, like hotels and accommodation, like in terms of let's say 33% then in terms of the affiliate side of things. And then it's also on Mediavine. So um, nowadays it earns roughly like 2K a month on Mediavine. Uh, but I do not have the ads turned as high as they could be. So I, I'm like, I, I actually don't install an ad blocker because I'm like, okay, if I'm subjecting other people to this, I need to be willing to do it. So yep. we are we're doing 2K a month with Mediavine. So yeah, like in total, the site is kind of, now back to pre-pandemic winter is is where it's at uh, these days. <laughs> okay, so and do you envision it to generally recover then, like in the next say six months or something? Fingers crossed, right? Who who the fuck knows? But yeah, I mean, I like I completely thought that this would be doing more than 10k on its own the following summer, because it's very typical in travel that you have like really strong seasonality, right? So if it was doing 5k a month in winter, I would have expected it to do 10k a month or more during summer. Um, and I think I think this year it did reach almost 7k at one point in terms of generated revenue. Um, but there's always, you know, some degree of cancellations and so on. So it's a little bit fuzzy um, what, what that ends up being. But yeah, so I think hopefully at some point in the future, it will just kind of live on its own and make this money. And I use it actually to do to do product demos. So I can always like show people like, oh, this is what you can do with our product. And, you know, actually look at real data from a real website. So that's why I wanted to continue to succeed. <laughs> Perfect. And I didn't even realize how big that travel blog was so we can maybe put a pin in it and actually do a whole other interview so we could focus on that sometime. So we'll come back to that. I'll talk to you about it later. But the fact that you had this blog and that you were in the community helped you realize that there was a need for people to like figure out where they were earning money from. So can you talk about the origin of Affiliate and how you got started building it? Yeah, totally. So, I mean, it's it's come a long way since what it was when it started. But basically, what I wanted to know is where is my affiliate revenue coming from, right? Because if you know where it's coming from, you can do more of that and make more money. Um, and the funny thing is, is that a lot of these like programs, they just don't they don't track that information or if they do, they don't reveal it to you. Um, so things like what page on the site referred the sale, um, you know, even what device was used, all of that kind of stuff. And in order to figure out like, okay, what page on my site, like what blog post was it that referred somebody to buy this hotel, for example, book this day, you'd have to go into all of those links and like edit them by hand to add like a tracking label sub ID type thing and be like, okay, this is from my Lake Como itinerary. And you have to go type that in there. And 
as a developer, it's like, okay, I can't, I will automate this somehow. The question is, am I going to help other people do the same? And I was like, okay, I definitely want to quit my job at some point. Like I always knew I didn't want to like become a VP of something and then have all of that stress and, and gray hair and shortened life expectancy and all that, all that stuff. So, okay. What we did is, um, um, and I started to, to build this with my partner, Garnot. So he's also a software engineer. And of course, you know, taking the engineer mindset, we're like, okay, we can build a SaaS product for this. And what it kind of started as was just doing basic click tracking, like see what pages on your site were referring clicks on affiliate links. So we had to develop like an algorithm that would find all of the affiliate links on your website because nobody in their right mind is going to like take thousands of links and then go like manually put them into some tool. Um, and then, you know, it kind of went from there from click tracking to containing like, you know, heat maps, aggregated revenue reporting. And now what we're doing a lot of is this automated revenue attribution where like we go to all the pages, adapt the affiliate links and allow you to see like in a scalable way, which page is generating money on your site and, down to the link level. And this stuff is like not really possible without some kind of a tool. And yeah, any site of any reasonable size, you can't do this by hand. So the question is, are you going to pay someone a lot of money to do it by hand and then get only a little piece of the data? Or do you want more information and to do it automated? Okay. So that's that's kind of the evolution that it that it took from like click tracking to revenue and then revenue attribution. And we're gonna go deep down that rabbit hole. So yeah. Here's a quick word from our sponsor, Otis Global. That's O-D-Y-S. And they're the source for premium age domains with strong branding and powerful backlinks. The featured domain for today is worldlyinvestor.com. It's pretty strong branding on that domain. And this was a website that delivered investment advice and news about financial markets stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. They have several books, which are actually still available on Amazon, and they've been published under the worldlyinvestor.com brand. It is a whopping 25 years old, created in 1997. Damn, that's when I graduated from high school. Wow, Mo. The domain rating is 18. The domain authority is 33. And the great thing with this specific domain is... It's in a very competitive niche of sort of financial related topics. And people are always interested in personal finance and money because it is so competitive and hard to get that age and expertise and the authority associated with it. This is a great domain, especially if you have kind of, I would say, a, a big goal ahead of you in the personal finance space or finance in general. There are 131 referring domains, 119 of those are do follow. Very high authority, very niche relevant links, including fool.com, entrepreneur.com, theregister.com, and cnn.com. A lot of it is branded anchor text, and that is 
pretty amazing. So if you want to check out this domain or others, you can create an Otis account using my affiliate link if you want to, and you get $100 in your account. Of course, I get a commission if you ever buy anything, which I greatly appreciate. So thanks a lot to Otis. And I'm going to send it back. And the thing that comes up next, uh, I, I sort of teased Monica a little bit and she was totally fine. I, I left it in because it was a natural part of the conversation. We just didn't know each other that well. So now she, she knows how I kid. So we'll, we'll send it back to the interview now. Typically, I like to, especially when there's a software uh, interview like this one, I don't want to just make it a bit commercial for that. Sorry, I didn't tell you that ahead of time. Ahead of time <laughs> Sorry. Monica, but I'm just trying to explain how it works. But It yeah. is perfect. <laughs> no, you're totally fine. But I was going to say, is there a way to, to do this without using the tool? Um, assuming, let's say, it's not a huge site, but maybe there's like a couple hundred post that would need to be tracked. So you can do some uh, manual editing by hand, which seems really cumbersome and error prone, perhaps. Um, Is there any other way to do this kind of thing or get some piece of the data? Um, I mean, the thing is, is that every affiliate network is different. So some affiliate networks will track the referring page for a sale. The problem is they don't do it in a consistent way. <laughs> so sometimes they have the data, sometimes they don't. For example, share a sale, skim links, I think AWIN as well. A lot of them provide that data. So if you send a sale from your website, it might include that information somewhere in the user interface. Um, to be honest, I consume this data by API, so I don't even know where to find it. Um, but it is tracked somewhere available in some of these tools. Um, and then if you wanted to, you know, take that information, you know, apart from doing the sub IDs yourself, um, you know, then you could, of course, somehow export these into some kind of an Excel file and try to do something like pivot tables, maybe I don't, or VLOOKUPs. I'm not really a spreadsheet expert, but somehow you could potentially do that. Like some of them do track this information, um, but it's not reliable enough. You would need to do the sub IDs and you could start with top traffic pages. That's what I would recommend. Okay, perfect. And Monica, that is exactly the answer I was hoping for and kind of expecting like, this question is one that I've gotten for years. And I mean, I I thought about it and then I looked and I realized, oh, this will be probably impossible to track. I I wasn't thinking about it in an algorithmic way. I was just like, ah, V lookups. I I am a spreadsheet person. So I was like, ah, this looks like (laughs) I can get some data, but maybe not useful. So I just wanted to point out Mm -hmm. like, this is kind of a more advanced thing. It'd be great to know but I think you have to be at a certain level before it makes sense. So do you have a recommendation for like how much traffic or how much earnings a site should have before they should, you know, think about using a, a tool like this to get that granular information? Mm-hmm. I mean, when it comes to page level attribution, the thing is the sooner you start, the better it is because once you have a website with, you know, a hundred pages, hundreds of pages on it, it's very intimidating, 
uh, to go in and do that. The other problem, uh, which is pretty important, is that a lot of these, a lot of people put shortened links on their website. So like fave.co for skin links or tiddly links for AWIN. And this kind of like doesn't give you the ability to even go easily retroactively changing those links to have that proper tracking. So in an ideal world, you start from the very beginning if you're going to do it by hand. Like you definitely want to be creating every single link on your site with that extra kind of campaign parameter if possible. Um, what mostly ends up happening is that people have don't, you know, they're like me. They don't realize that this can be a serious revenue stream build something that's kind of giant. And then at the end, they're like, hmm, like, I, I wish I knew more about this. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the trajectory. But um, it, I mean, it's all about when are you making enough money and have enough traffic that maybe some small changes could, could make a difference for you. Um, and you'd be surprised. Like, I don't know if you're tracking this on your sites, Doug, um, but sometimes it surprises you, like where your most valuable content is from an affiliate perspective. Have you noticed that? Or I am still uh, lazy, and I, I still don't okay. know. But I have I have been somewhat surprised in the past when I've tried to find some data, but I still haven't um, checked out affiliate yet. Sorry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, no, it's totally yeah. fine. I mean, the, this is the thing is there are, there are still tons of people who are totally successful making tons of money from affiliate marketing and have very like rudimentary analytics. They do it, you know, it's, it's just maybe not the most efficient way, but you can certainly do it. Like you also don't need Google analytics on your website. Right. You can just write, I mean, people don't do that. Like, yeah. Some people. So. Gotcha. <laughs> okay. So let's think about like if someone wants to check out a filament and what's kind of the onboarding process? Like, is this, I always get nervous if I'm going to try to use a new tool and it's going to be a lot of work and maybe I have to unroll it in the future. Maybe it'll break things. So can you talk about using it and onboarding? Yeah, totally. So basically what we do is we crawl a website for all the existing affiliate links so that you don't have to like type them by hand, and then you import them by pushing a button. Um, and then you need to install a like a little bit of JavaScript on the site. Um, and this basically allows us to track clicks on those links and add extra tracking parameters that you then use to kind of glue together the revenue, which you get through integrating with affiliate networks with the on-page data. So depends. Every site is a little bit different in terms of how long it takes to onboard, but it's like I don't know, a typical site, maybe you have five integrations and well, it doesn't really matter how many links you have. I mean, you could probably do it in 10 or 15 minutes, maybe. I mean, it's not, it's not too bad. Um, so I'm not okay. sure if that answers your question, yeah. but it's pretty easy. I mean, sure. as long as you don't have like these shortened links, like if you have shortened links, then these will have they have bad tracking um, and you want to replace those. But other than that, it's kind of straightforward. Okay. And I'll just recap to make sure I understand. And you, you mentioned integration. So that's integrations to different affiliate um, marketplaces or. Yeah, totally. Okay. Totally. So like share a sale, impact, skim link, stuff like that. Okay. And overall uh, you guys crawl it and then you'll insert uh, the, the proper 
uh, whatever tracking, and it only mm-hmm. takes a few minutes, basically. Yeah, yeah. And then if then is it hard to roll it back, or does it actually change the code? What happens, or is it kind of on the fly with the JavaScript? Yeah, so it happens on the fly. So there's no like database access or anything like that. So you can actually turn all of those on and off. The only thing is that if you like all of the sales that we kind of attribute for you, they will be attributed forever. So those tracking IDs will be in there for all past sales. Um, But one thing we do, which we try to like be nice about is like, those tracking IDs will all contain some bit of human readable information, which tells you which page converted. And then it's followed by a unique analytics ID. So if you ever leave, like your data isn't totally useless. Like you could still, if you're as good at spreadsheets as you are, you definitely like bring that in, you know, strip out the analytics ID, which you can't read and still be able to like run reasonable reports. So that's like, that's the only thing. Yeah. It doesn't leave like, all this damage of unusable stuff. If you pulled it out, we don't have a plugin or anything like that. I actually am not very um, knowledgeable about WordPress. (laughs) Like it's just, you know, it's one of those things people get super surprised. They're like, you built this whole thing and you don't really know WordPress super well. It's just like a different kind of software development. So we don't have like a WordPress plugin and I have no idea how to build a WordPress plugin, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're doing okay. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Any other notes about like using the tool or things that might be interesting when you're starting to use it? Well, there's a lot of interesting things, but I don't want to be a commercial. So we'll just see if they come up during the course of like talking about some stuff that maybe people who aren't using the tool could still apply to their site, see some gains, even if it's like not so easy to, to track. Like there's still so many things that I have learned from like optimizing my own site where I could, you know, say, okay, these are at least a couple of experiments you want to be running regardless of what you do. And yeah, I think there's perfect. A lot of best practices people are just missing. And if they were to do that, they'd already see gains and then they can get that extra, you know, 30, 40, 50% uh, with the analytics on top of it. Monica, you're a great guest. You're segueing for me. So what are some of those best practices that people can do? And obviously you you have a lot of experience making money on not a nomad blog. So yeah, let's hit some of those mm-hmm. top tips. Yeah, totally. So I would say the, oh, there's so many things um, because I also see so many websites, right? And there's a large, a large sample set here. Um, so the first, the first thing that I would say is there has to be a balance between introducing your affiliate links early and looking really spammy, um, where it's like, you know, really big, bold uh, tables and stuff. These are really great. Um, but sometimes people put them so early on the page that people haven't yet gotten an understanding of like who you are and why they should listen to you. Um, But again, it's always something you can test, right? There are plenty of big profitable websites that probably do this. Um, But on the flip side, a lot of people wait a really long time to introduce their first affiliate link. I would say this is like a base, very basic beginner mistake. Um, So they're like, wait, you know, have like a whole long intro and they're missing that kind of like summary piece, which says like, this is my number one top recommendation. Like, 
I recommend this personally because I have used it. Like if you look at the click data and you look at how much those, you know, personal recommendations using I language affect the click through rate and conversion, it's wild. Um, and so often people are just like, this one's nice and this one's also nice, <laughs> you know? So they're just really missing that copywriting aspect that is that lends the the confidence that people need to take your recommendation. Um, so kind of in a nutshell, like introducing the links early, you know, not so early that it kind of makes your site look bad or spammy, but like, you know, establishing why should people listen to you? Like, you know, if I talk about places to stay in Berlin, then I tell people at the beginning of the article, I actually live here and you know, I've been to all of these places. I visited multiple times before moving here. Like these are the places I would recommend my favorite areas best, you know, and all of those things build confidence in the reader. Um, and I think a lot of people just do the links. Um, another top tip, if I can add another one is like not forgetting to link, not just the product name. So, so often people just link the product name, but there is like no intrigue like behind what's behind this link, you know? So like just something as simple as like see more images, you know, check out reviews or like, you know, this particular product, all of these can really dramatically boost um, the click-through rate. And if you're promoting something like Amazon where they're just so good at converting, then you're, you know, you're optimizing a lot for that click-through rate. And yeah, so often people just have like a one and done approach with the product name as the link. And like, if you track this, like you will see that people choose between all of the different ones. Um, and you need to give them enough interest kind of to draw them into the link. And like, these are like the basic things that I would say, like 101, like you should never have basically like one affiliate link to the main product you're promoting in it, like that first paragraph or whatever, like you need it several places and formats because you just don't know yet what's going to resonate with people. Yep. You know, I Does really that, like that. Those yeah. are perfect. And, uh, some of my favorite ones too. Um, one thing you mentioned was just giving different options for people to click over. So, you know, buttons can be nice, but some people are afraid of buttons and they would rather see like a text link. And one that you mentioned was seeing reviews. So you could say, see real owner reviews on Amazon or, or wherever you're, you're selling from. And that's, I mean, that's what people want to see anyway. That's why they're reading your site. They want to hear about it. So if you can send them over there and, you know, they, they click the link and get the cookie, then that's perfect. So. Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, Again, once you test it, like even with a basic heat map, like free hot jar, you can also still like learn a lot from that. Uh, even if you're not sure about the conversions, like it will still tell you a lot. Do people care at all about the product you're talking about or not? Right. <laughs> so, yeah. wanted to hop in and give a little plug for my other podcast, Mile High Fi, and my co-host, Carl Jensen. And I have a blast talking about personal finance and financial independence and some other topics related to it. Sometimes it ends up being kind of a lifestyle podcast, but really what happens is Carl and I come down to my basement 
it's that sounds creepier than than it actually is. We come down here to record the podcast because that's where the studio is. We just have a nice time talking. Sometimes we go on wild tangents that are unrelated and stuff you would never ever hear on other personal finance podcasts. So we just have a good time. We interview people occasionally. Sometimes we just cover a topic. But if you are thinking about, hey, maybe I want to be financially independent and maybe retire early, or you're just thinking, hey, I'm starting to earn some money and I'm I'm curious maybe some options that I have for planning the future. It's not investment advice. You always got to look out and say it's not investment advice, but would love it if you checked it out. It's a blast and we have a wonderful time interviewing people like Mr. Money Mustache, JL Collins, Paula Pant. Actually, Carl knows a lot of people. So we've been able to talk to some pretty cool folks and we're doing more and more of that. So would love it if you checked out the show, Mile High Fi. It's a podcast about personal finance and hanging out with Doug and Carl. And one thing we talked about offline was potentially like reordering some of the the content on your site, specifically the, the mention of the products. Can you go into that and why it can be important? Yeah, totally. So the kind of framework that at least I personally have developed when it comes to like writing affiliate content, deciding which affiliate content is worth writing, and then hopefully maximizing the revenue from that content, um, especially as someone who I don't run an affiliate site as my main thing. You know, it's something on the side that I, that I share with people um, during demos. So not, not spending a lot of time on this. So the main thing is uh, when you do these kind of product roundups or roundup style posts, for example, in the travel industry, this might be, you know, best places to say or things to do. Those are also product roundups, even though they don't necessarily start with the word best, right? Um, so any of these like list style posts, uh, what happens is, you know, you write the post, you might have your top five things you think are going to convert the best or that you like the most or, or however your selection criteria is, but you have no understanding of like what is going to resonate with the visitor. Um, and what happens is sometimes you have these anomalies where you see, okay, there's a lot of interest in this, but not that many people are seeing it because it's further down on the page, you know, um, it's just not exposed enough to people because people don't, they don't scroll through your entire like four to 5,000 word affiliate optimized article, skyscraper content or whatever it is. Right. So the question is, can you surface those kind of like gems that are kind of sprinkled throughout the post once you find out what people are reacting to? Um, and of course, like you can kind of do this with heat maps it might be a little bit difficult to see the, you know, what is relatively doing better, but basically what you want to do is reorder your article so that the stuff that is having the best click-through rate and also converting the best and actually increases the revenue of the page is what comes first. And one of the like kind of key things that people mess up a little bit is not just thinking about, okay, what's the conversion rate of the content, but what's the revenue per visitor that this content is generating? You know, it's kind of like 
mixing up what is your end goal. Um, So that's why having that, you know, page level attribution makes a lot of sense. But at the end of the day, like moving these things up through your articles and then finding, you know, a winning product, you know, maybe out of the 12, 15, 20 items that you're talking about that can validate for you, which products are worth writing dedicated reviews on. And so many people do this the other way around where they start with reviews. They take a lot of time, product doesn't convert. And then you just like, you just put in so much time to write this article or you paid someone to write it or whatever you did. So that's kind of like the cycle that I like to recommend to people is like, start with the list post, you know, find your winners, experiment with it until you reach some degree of revenue efficiency, and then break those out into individual reviews that you can deep link to. And, you know, this is kind of like a repeatable process that works in a lot of niches. Perfect. That is a great tip. Before we move on, do you have any other, I know there's almost an endless number of tips you can give, but any other big ones before we kind of move on to another line of questioning? <laughs> um, that's, that's a good question. I mean, to be honest, I, I don't think so. It's, it's not that complicated. Like once you have the information in front of you or anytime someone tells you this is what you should be doing, you're like, literally, why didn't I think about that? Because it's not really rocket science. It's just, you have to know, right? Um, and I, I would say the big thing is just, you know, once you find a winner in terms of an on-page strategy, uh, a product, you know, a call to action that seems to be doing really well, like, don't forget to test this on other pages on your site, because more often than not, like everybody has like dozens of best product reviews and it might take some work, but some of these really small tweaks, you can double, triple or more the revenue per visitor. So it's worth going back to that stuff and testing it and trying not to be afraid that you're going to lose your ranking. Like, little, little tweaks. (laughs) That's always like the danger, right? But, uh, you know, go big or go home, I guess. Don't be afraid. Okay. So moving on, you are, you're a co-founder for Fellowmate, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And where'd you find your partner? We're in a relationship. Okay. That's, that's the, uh, the, the perfect ultimate. hack. Okay. <laughs> Got yes. It. Okay. So I could take it in a different direction now. How is it working with him? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we've, <laughs> this is so funny. He, he might watch um, it. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I think he's not, not as interested in like, I do most of like the communication aspects um, because I'm coming from the background of being an affiliate myself. He doesn't have that background. He has a super deep technical background. So yeah, I mean, what shall I say? It's efficient. (laughs) Um, We work in separate offices, I guess. Anybody who is working at home right now and your significant other is also working from home. Having some space to yourself also always helps. Uh, But yeah, I would say it's just very efficient. Like, you know, you can be really open about things. You can talk about things at every meal. 
<laughs> if you want to. I mean, we're both kind of like pretty intense about work. So um, that I would say that fits like our work style fits. I would say if we were not that way, then maybe it would be too much. But uh, yeah, I would say for us, it's like the ultimate efficiency hack. Like you're hanging out, have ideas all the time. You can talk about the same stuff. You're on the same page. So that's pretty cool. Okay. And how do you divide the work? So it depends. Um, so I'm doing, nowadays I'm doing a lot of the stuff that's not really super technical because it involves communication with people, like troubleshooting, bugs, like a lot of the big features have already been developed. So a lot of it has to do with like user experience. And so I do a lot of that. Um, but the part that he knows best is definitely like the deep analytics stuff when it comes to storage and, you know, like we use a uh, big query to store things like it's a very complex system to, and we certainly didn't know when we were getting into it, like we were going to be doing something this crazy, <laughs> but now we are. And uh, yeah, so that part, he just knows the best. So when it comes to certain parts of the system, it's like, okay, like this is going to be more efficient if you work on it. But over time, I'm kind of learning everything so that I can fix stuff everywhere um, in the entire system. But yeah, I would say it's mostly like based on code familiarity. <laughs> Okay, gotcha. And then it sounds like you're doing more of the just marketing in general and like some of the content marketing and all the all the things related to that, right? Yes, I'm I'm learning to be a marketer. Like <laughs> that is like my my that is definitely the biggest learning I have had to have. I thought that growing a SaaS product would kind of be similar to growing an affiliate website, and it's not at all like that. <laughs> so <laughs> It is really hard. So I would just say like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely doing a lot of the, the marketing, sales, all of that communication kind of stuff, like, like customer acquisition, all of that kind of thing. And then when it comes to like features, like things that let's say larger customers need where it's like, okay, like now we need to build a big query export or who knows what, then, then that'll be something that we'll tackle together. Okay. And there's a lot of the audience that have tech backgrounds like us. Some, some are developers, some are just highly technical, but can figure out a mm -hmm. few things. And you mentioned how different it has been from growing an affiliate site. So can you highlight a couple of those? What were some big surprises maybe that you thought were going to be easier that are actually much harder? Totally. I mean, from a traffic perspective, ranking for the kind of content that's going to attract affiliate marketers is so much more competitive compared to travel bloggers. Like travel bloggers, there are definitely like plenty of tech savvy ones, um, but it's not necessarily the same level of competition as like, you know, these are the SEO experts of our industry who are so intense about link building. And even if the content is maybe not that great, they have like propped it up with like such an outrageous number of backlinks and paid probably a lot of money as well. Um, and it's just like, it's really painful to write about some of these topics to try to get relevant visitors on your website. So the, just how hard it is to get traffic. It's so much harder from an organic standpoint. Like, 
as an example, I, I also started um, to learn WordPress. I started a little website about uh, Fujifilm photography, um, just like so I could do some demos and like, you know, record videos and learn WordPress. This has like 10 articles on it and it gets like 4,000 monthly visitors. It's crazy. It's so easy to rank for. It only makes like 200 bucks. Um, but like, you know, it's it's so easy because it's like, a, it's a niche that has like a desert of content. Like it's just missing information. And that is the exact opposite of affiliate marketing where you have just like way too much. Everyone is like, you're fighting over a search volume of like 30 per month. Like it's, I mean, it's crazy. So that, that would be a big one. It's just like underestimating how much harder it is to rank in a niche like affiliate marketing compared to travel or photography or yeah. So it's, it's just harder than I expected in that respect. Um, I mean, the other thing is just that selling your own product is a different experience than referring people to buy somebody else's. So you're a totally wonderfully shielded away from like the customer support, logistics and fulfillment, like all of these kind of things that make product more complex um, and yeah, that's a lot of work and you just don't, I mean, you just get like a slice of the profit. It's so like affiliate marketing is amazing. <laughs> so when you look at that in, in contact, uh, contrast to running a software business where you're like, okay, I have to worry about so many things. Um, whether that's like, you know, tech support training, uh, communicating with people, sales, demos, like it's just a multifaceted beast. Um, but you know, it's, it's, everything's easier once you already know it. And I just don't know, like, I'm not a SaaS expert yet. Once I'm a SaaS expert, I'm sure I will say, oh yeah, first 10K a month, easy peasy. Here's my, here's my <laughs> roadmap and my masterclass. You can buy for $10,000 or whatever. <laughs> but until that point, it's way harder. <laughs> And actually, you're again, you're you're a great interviewee. So you've hit sort of a big income milestone. Affiliate is growing; things are going well. Do you have any sense of imposter syndrome at this point? Oh, I had it for so long. Um, I would say I still have it to some degree, but definitely. I mean, the the thing is, is that. Uh, it, the affiliate marketing industry, and you tell me what you think about this, Doug, like it's so secretive and competitive that you never really know where you stand. There are a lot of people who might say, ah, oh, I'm doing 10K a month. Look at my Amazon screenshot. You don't really know what this means. Uh, like, so you, you don't really know, is my 100,000 visitors a month a lot or a little? Like, so there's always this question of like, where do you stand? Um, and of course, sometimes like, you know, I'm doing product demos, like just today, you know, I did a demo. They, I mean, they have millions of monthly visitors. I, I don't know how much yet, but they're in the millions. They're probably, who knows? They're a big site. And I'm like, hey, like I'm giving you a demo on my site. Like this month it did like 50K visitors because we're in winter now you know, made about 4k, like, can you just extrapolate to like how this would look like on your site, which has millions of visitors, thousands of pages, and like, you know, fuels a proper team of people, just use your imagination. So there's definitely that aspect. 
But I also think the kind of people that are most fun to work with, uh, again, like you tell me if this is something that you've experienced, like these are the people who also kind of want to root for you because they're like, you're not like a giant anonymous company. I know I can come to you and you're going to solve my problem. You care about me individually. And so those are the kind of people you just want to work with and makes more sense. So instead of like trying to hide that you're not a huge team, you can lean on that for the right kind of customer. So that's kind of what I would say. I don't know. Do you still have imposter syndrome at this point, Doug? Yeah, a little bit, but it's in, it's in different context. And I think it's kind of like when you become an expert, what, what's it called? The Dunning-Kruger effect? You know what I'm talking about? Uh-huh. So yeah, yeah. for the people that don't know, you, you may have to help fill in the gaps for my, my definition here. But it's when you first learn about something, you are gathering information and you feel like you know a huge amount and you're overconfident with how much you know. And then as people become experts, they realize how much they don't know and they underestimate how their knowledge or yeah, how good their knowledge is in general. Is that a reasonable definition? I always thought the Dunning-Kruger effect was that stupid people don't know they're stupid. That's, that's a much better way to put it. Yes. You, you nailed it. <laughs> so, so the whole point but, being, I, I now realize, crass. <laughs> yeah, but, but to the point, right. That, that is perfect. So yeah, for me, I still get imposter syndrome, but it's like in different scenarios And most recently, I've been going to some conferences in the personal finance and financial independence space. And there's a lot of like really well-known people and I'm just me, but, uh, you know, they don't know who I am, but everyone's very cool and very welcoming. So, so that does help it. But yeah, sometimes I like walk into a room and I'm like, wow, these are really amazing people, but they're all just people. So I feel like, yes, I still get imposter syndrome, but it's a little bit a little bit different now. And it's strange, like how you can get used to earning, uh, you know, a large amount of money or a small amount of money. And we just sort of adapt to whatever it is. And then you just expect it sort of. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I have that in mind as well, which that's sort of a deeper, deeper tangent, but, um, yeah, the imposter syndrome, I don't think it ever goes away. Like if you're continually like challenging yourself and accomplishing things. Yeah, I I think I can kind of relate to that type as well, because um, when you change niches or like kind of change the focus, you know, maybe like you have a popular YouTube channel, people know you for affiliate marketing, niche websites and so forth, but you take that leap to like pivot to something slightly different. And it's kind of like starting from scratch because those people don't know you um, and it may or may not even be transferable a lot of like the clout and reputation that you've already built up. Um, This is also the same for me. People know me for tech stuff and nobody knows me in, you know, the affiliate marketing space. And it's kind of the same thing. You're just like, okay, well, I have to build something on my own merits, like just from the ground up. And I don't know, it's humbling, I guess, (laughs) to remember what it's like to start without any kind of like assets or personal capital to build on. 
Perfect. Yeah. And I realize we're at the end of uh, time that I scheduled. Are you good for a few more minutes? Yeah, I'm fine. Okay. So as we're winding it down, you are a, a tech female founder. Is there anything interesting that you have observed as you're out there marketing and, and trying to get the word out? Well, I mean, I can certainly say that even though the tech industry is, uh, yeah, it's notoriously male, let's say. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I took computer science in university. It wasn't my major, but I had CS classes and there were times where I was the only woman in there. Also, I had times where the students were like afraid to sit next to me or communicate with me just because it's like very awkward stage, I guess. I don't know. But like you definitely notice a lot like, OK, I'm the only I'm the only woman here. Um, but from what I've observed so far, I feel like kind of the SEO and affiliate marketing industry, from what I can see, at least from the from the side of like, let's say, uh, creators, not not as much like partner marketing, like the more corporate side of things, uh, which is like, you know, what's happening on LinkedIn, let's say. Um, but that's also like super male. And I would say even more so in the te- than, than a lot of the tech industry, uh, which is just interesting because I think you have a lot of people who are like, this is how I make money online. And like, you know, it has this, this image of like, here's my fancy car. And like, I also go to the gym all day. And like this, I don't, that kind of messaging is not necessarily like super inclusive to people of all kinds of backgrounds or whatever. So I kind of strive a little bit that maybe as I'm kind of making my way in here, I'll try to do something a little bit different. I don't know how that's going to work. I don't know how it's going to be received, Uh, but we will see. Yeah. It's, it's a little intimidating. People on the internet are scary like, <laughs> like yeah. that's a fact, but yeah. you know, you have to put yourself out there or you'll never achieve anything meaningful. So that's the that's conundrum right. we are all facing, isn't it? And it sounds like you saw my recent uh, new ad, me in front of the Lambo going to the gym. So did you? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I did, I did once have somebody say that, uh, I had someone on Hacker News once compare me to Ty Lopez, me personally. And Ty Lopez, oh my God, I can't believe I'm saying this. He replied on Twitter and said something like, wow, that must have been terrible for you. And I was like, I'm not going to respond to Ty Lopez on Twitter because I'm so afraid. But anyways, point is, uh, no matter what, you might be compared to, to, and maybe Ty Lopez is a fine guy. I'm just saying, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. What we'll have to talk offline because I'm curious how that comparison was made. (laughs) Uh, I I published an an article which was a very unimpressive article, and somebody. The thing is, in tech, I will just mention this: people just can't fathom the idea of making money not from a salary job, and so you have to be a scammer if you're making money not from a salary job. And the only thing that is valuable is code written for some giant publicly traded company. And if you make money in other ways, like consulting or your own products, like you're definitely scamming people. And so that mindset is very pervasive. 
That makes sense. And I'm pretty sure I yeah. thought that um, for most of my career until... Actually, I thought Pat Flynn was a scammer until I listened to more episodes and I was like, oh, maybe maybe this is real. So you don't know until you investigate a little bit. So Yeah, got to go right. down the rabbit hole. <laughs> okay, so what is next for a Philomate, say in the next 12 months or so? Do you have any specific goals, Any anything on your mind? Well... I mean, growth is the number one thing. I'm like, what What I'm super lucky to have is that I don't have to take any kind of a salary from FLMA because the blog is profitable. It makes, it makes like a comfortable income for me. So I'm able to actually pretty much reinvest by hiring people, uh, you know, doing more content, all that kind of stuff. So that's pretty awesome and just means I'm just going to be in reinvesting in the company and in growth. Um, and yeah, I think the thing will really be scalability, bringing on bigger and bigger sites. Um, so we like we have a lot of people who have small sites. They're on our small, smallest plan and that's fine. And I like these people. They're, they're very relatable to me. Um, at the same time, when it comes to like, making something big and I have big ambitions, then I also want to bring on, you know, people who are really going to be able to use the product at a big scale. So, and that's also just cool to like see the inner workings of like a really large, uh, site. It's, it's fascinating, um, to watch that and kind of work with people and optimizing stuff. So yeah, I think that's going to be it. Like growth, scaling, and really just figuring out what we can build that will practically help people make more money. Like this is what it all comes down to, right? You have to prove an ROI should be really tangible and clear. And that's, that's the main thing for us. Amazing. Well, Monica, this has been fantastic. Where can people find you? Well, I'm on Twitter. Um, that's probably the place where I, I actually don't tweet that much. Uh, but when I do, I, it's cause I think I have something to say. So I'm on Twitter at twitter.com slash Monica Lent. And that's, yeah, that, I mean, I share, I share kind of the behind the scenes a little bit. Most of my audience there is developers. So sometimes I might ask technical questions crowdsourcing support uh, from from the developers of Twitter because, you know, that's that's where you got to go these days. Um, I also sometimes publish on my blog at monicalent.com. Um, that's more kind of like the personal, personal backstory, let's say, of building all of this stuff. That's where the income reports are. Um, I published my last one yesterday, so they are kind of going away in terms of future ones, but I have almost a year's worth that if people kind of want to see you know, going from, let's say two to 10, it's like kind of the, the range in there that you get to watch. So yeah. Perfect. And hopefully we could have you back on in the future. You have other projects that um, are very cool that we didn't even talk about. So I'll link up everything so people can find you. And thanks a lot, Monica. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Doug. It was awesome talking to you. Thanks a lot to Monica and definitely check out Affiliate and see if it's a product that can help you out. There is a chance, of course, as I alluded to in the interview that 
you may need to have a site that is getting a certain amount of traffic or maybe earning a certain amount before it makes sense. Sometimes this data won't help you out unless you have enough traffic. So keep that in mind. And if you go check out Affiliate, you'll get a pretty good idea about whether or not you're a good candidate. It was a blast talking to Monica and hopefully, well, I'll just ping her and see if she'll come back on, talk about some of her specific sites. And I think, you know, one cool thing is she came from the field, right? She was working on a site and identified a problem that she could solve and use her skills as a coder and create a SaaS product. So pretty cool, pretty cool overall. And I think, uh, you know, we should all take a look at you know problems we're experiencing or that we see other people having, and you may be able to create a service around it. You may be able to create a product, scratch your own itch, and then you actually have created a business for yourself. And that's one reason why I really like the content site model, the affiliate site model, where even if it doesn't work out like you thought, even if you fail to reach your goal, which Monica didn't. She actually had a great site earning money. But even if you fail to have a site do exactly what you wanted, you have learned skills in creating a website, doing keyword research, buying content, writing content. Maybe you discover that you love WordPress plugins and you figure out a couple plugins that you could create that solve problems for people. So even if the the whole project doesn't work out how you thought, on the other side, it was a success and you can identify opportunities in the future. So I'll leave it at that. Everybody have a great day. We'll catch you on the next episode.